The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. Remember how to do this. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and anything else we want to talk about, because here we are in COVID year three. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosab. On this week's episode, we're going to catch up uh, a little bit. We've been away for a while. Uh, life has gotten in the way once again. If you follow our Twitter feed, you may have noticed some of that. But we are back. We're doing a show here, aren't we, El Kaiser? We are here to jawbone. Yeah, and COVID be damned. The heck with you, COVID. That's right. But uh, but and it, it's, I think it's been, uh, the, I would say, maybe a, a couple of months since we were last able to virtually get together and, and do a show. And, and some things have happened eh, but since then. I've got, I've got a little bullet points here. <laughs> just in case people, I don't think people rely on us for their day-to-day news, but just so everyone knows that we are caught up with the rest of the world, I'll, I'll just you know run through the things that might have been a technical note. But before that, I just want to say a quick note. I haven't seen Moon Knight. I did finally finish Hawkeye. Okay. And I liked it. The first All three right. episodes were like, Meh. but the last three episodes, when Florence Pugh came on, mm-hmm. I hope that's not a spoiler, but you know, it's been on for almost a year. So come yes. on, folks. So, yeah, you so know. if you haven't seen it then. Yeah. But she saved that show. Totally saved the show. All right. Completely so. saved the show. So I give it a, I give it a, like a tepid thumbs up. Now, the Star Treks, did you watch Picard and did you get into Strange New World? I have not. No, life got in the way. I have not been able to watch, but I'm going to totally, I'm psyched for Strange New Worlds. I got to be honest. I've seen the first episode. I'm I'm a little bit behind on that, but it's bringing back some fuzzy memories. And Excellent. that was really the best season of Discovery, in my opinion, oh, is when they had that. that absolutely. Uh, no question That storyline. So Strange New Worlds and then Stranger Things is coming back at the end of the month. We've seen That's the right. Obi-Wan trailer, uh, something to get excited about there. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I was, as I've mentioned on the show, that I was not thrilled with the Book of Boba, the Book of Boba Fett. I was not thrilled. Only when the Mandalorian, again, when the Mandalorian showed up, the show improved. Same thing with Hawkeye. Boba Fett dances with sand people and completely wasting Ming-Na Wen. And then Mando shows up I'm like, okay. I'm definitely looking forward to Obi-Wan. The, the trailer looked very sleek. I know they postponed the uh, delivery of the first episode by a couple of days. I don't know what's up with that. Usually that sets off alarms for people. But now it's debuting the same day as whatever season of Stranger Things we're on. And Stranger Things has been off for so long. Those kids look like they're 30 in the, the trailer <laughs> now. So I, I assume they're going to have some explanation for the, the aging between seasons. Netflix needs a win. Oh, yeah. They are in the news here for for some of their financial okay. you know woes they've been having. Let's do but, some uh, news. You know, let's just, just get caught up with what's going on in the world and, and just to make sure we're all on the same page. And you know, unfortunately, you know, one of the big stories is uh, Russia's war on Ukraine. And as we had mentioned before, a lot of warfare is cyber warfare now. That there is a, a ton of physical warfare out there and to watch it every night on the news is just heartbreaking. But the number of hacker maneuvers that have been going on back and forth, but the, the Ukrainians have gotten very creative. And there's a, a web page that I'll link to on our, our show page that is tallying all of the different hacks and things and the data dumps that they've done about sites that they've hacked. But one of the most interesting ones I thought, and very creative, because the Russian government is censoring all non-approved propaganda about the war, and there's 
been this move to, to get the real information into Russia, and they've had uh, a lot of sites have got Telegram accounts, and there's shortwave radio, and people are trying to figure out ways to broadcast uh, what's really going on in the world into the people of Russia. But a group of hackers hacked the electronic programming guide for Russian TV not too long ago and replaced all of the program listings with political messages about what was really going on. That, who thinks of wow. that? That is very creative. To sit so people like they flip on their guide and they want to see what channel whatever's on and, and they're just seeing all of this text replaced with commentary about the state of the world. I give them a creativity points for that one. But and again, the war is still going on, the hacking's still going on. I think a lot of government agencies around the world are on high security just because when there's war and there's cyber war, things get hacked and there's ransomware going on everywhere. Even more than normally. Let's be careful. Also, while we were gone, CNN Plus debuted and folded all within about <laughs> a month's time. It came this and was, went. Yeah, the blink in, you miss it. Because I know they had this huge buildup and they were asking journalists, so come work for CNN Plus. Even if you work in print, you can do stuff in digital and come work for us. And it, they were building up and I think they had six months of runway. But they were unfortunately designing and starting this service in the middle of a merger and acquisition of the, the company. So CNN Plus, uh, it's, it's been dubbed the Quibi of cable news by New York Magazine's Vulture blog. <laughs> uh, they launched for $6 a month and with much internal fanfare on uh, March 29th. And by April 28th, the service was pretty much shut down. The discovery, uh, you know, the company that was buying them. I don't think they were really on board with the business plan and the streaming area is getting so crowded. They said they were going to try to find jobs for a lot of the workers who had come on board to work on CNN+. Plus. I don't think they're going to find that many jobs. So I think this is a uh, horribly un unfortunate thing for journalists and data analysts and systems people who were working over there. The new owners just weren't on board with this ambitious project and the quick shutdown and one of the biggest epic fails in media history, I would say. Riddle me this. What was the compelling need? What was the outcry that made CNN think that they needed a streaming service? I, I just, I don't understand. And you and I are in the news business. What were they thinking? It made zero sense. Even before things started going south, it was like, come on, are you kidding me? You're asking people to pay for a streaming service when they get it on their television or they can get it from whatever basic package or whatever internet TV package like YouTube TV or whatever why would you why would i pay for a streaming service it it just it makes no sense whatsoever to me you got to be a real CNN fan or a real CNN junkie or a real news junkie to actually even consider this thing Plus, the crazy news has here? been so bad this year. Like, the news is the last thing I want to watch more of. And they, they were trying. I think they were trying to, to position it because uh, Fox has a streaming service and they have a lot of auxiliary programming on there. And they'd hired. They actually hired Chris Wallace away from Fox, and they'd gotten some big news personalities that were going to host shows and then try to just be a really big general information service. But it, it, again, it. it the six bucks a month extra, and if you tried to, to stream a video on CNN's website, it always wanted you to go and subscribe to CNN Plus, which I found annoying. And I, I think they just overshot the mark. And there are so many other options that people can get their news. And and CNN is is very good. They they're the biggest I think cable network. They got bureaus everywhere. 
and they are very good at what they do, but I think they just overextended themselves on this. And there's a lot of competition, too. The BBC has made a lot of inroads in getting their international game up. Al Jazeera's out there. There are tons of other news organizations, Reuters. I guess what comes around goes around, and boom, epic fail. Yeah, I mean, and using Fox News as their benchmark or their their target makes no sense whatsoever because I'm being completely diplomatic here. The fans at Fox News are not news fans. I mean, and I'm saying that with all respect in the world. They Mm -hmm. go to that service like people watch soap operas. Yeah, (laughs) it's drama. It's drama. It's there to confirm their position in life. Let's put it Mm -hmm. that way. CNN is a news organization. You can't even compare. So, God, they just missed the boat on this so badly. And I remember getting the emails, too, but they were so excited, and they were pumping it up every day before the launch. Oh, this is going to be so great. And and then not so much. Um, yeah, I was getting the job referrals, too. Like, hey, you know, CNN Plus is looking for blah, blah, blah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Good thing you stayed put. I did. Yes. All right, so that was one of the things that happened. And then back and forth, back and forth. The Elon Musk story about his wildly overpriced bid to buy Twitter and take it private. Did some jousting, but he finally got the bid accepted. But now he says his acquisition is on pause, pending details, supporting the calculation that spam and fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. This, to me, was supposed to get in cold feet because... Totally sounds like it. Totally yeah, sounds like he's getting Yeah, because I think t- Twitter was only really valued at about $30 billion and he came in with $44 billion, uh, in order to take it private and also get another 420 joke in there. I think the stock price was like 5420 or something because he's really going to have a weed joke in there. And so, but I think the Tesla stock tanked when he did that, and, or yep. not tanked, but it, it dipped. And as we'll discuss in a minute, cryptocurrency is not doing so hot either these days. So... I think this report about the spam and the fake accounts was was sort of a loophole that he kind of pause and really think about, do we want to sink all this money into Twitter? And also, it's going to get harder to regulate, which we'll talk about in a little bit in the show, too. But the number of fake accounts is a business and profitability consideration, since it can't hurt the Twitter experience for legitimate users and make it harder for advertisers to judge what kind of returns they're getting on buying ads on the service, since bots don't really buy a lot of stuff. Right. But he was, oh, I'm going to let, you know, we're going to have all this free speech and I'm going to let President Trump back on. And he was making a lot of noise. And then Twitter, I think when they signed this deal, if he walks away from it, I think he has to pay $5 billion. I think it's a billion. Okay. So he, he yeah, so he's got a, a amount of money that he has to pay. A not inconsequential amount of cash. Yes. And there's also been some acquisitions because a lot of stockholders didn't know that he had a certain amount of stock, that there were some NDA things that were broken, and he might be in some legal jeopardy with some of the stuff that was running up to this deal. So I'm just going to sit and watch if this actually happens. It could. I know a lot of people quit Twitter right away because they didn't want to deal with it. But it's like, you know, I still get some use out of it just for quick headlines. And I'm not going to go anywhere because who knows if this deal is actually going to go through. It was so big and loud and fast when it debuted. And now people are kind of like waking up the next morning. I was like, oh, what happened? So I'm, I'm just going to sit here and, and, and we'll see. I'm sticking around for now. But yeah. I did close out some of my other accounts and some of the Headstepper accounts because I have issues with this person's point of view. And... Mm-hmm. It's difficult enough to slog through Twitter. It's a cesspool. It's Mm -hmm. disgusting. 
I'm insulted on the site. Granted, I'm not shy about my views on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend. There's conversation. There's expressing opposing views in a rational way. And then there's threatening my kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, so and hate the, speech. And, and hate speech. Yeah. And all sorts of, and doxing and things like that. The idea that this person is going to buy the service, take it private, and make it his own little playground and let things run free. Granted, it's not going to be able to because he won't make a dime if that's the case. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a pleasant experience. No, no. It, it, it screams like, let's go find someplace. And it's a cesspool already, as you mentioned. If it's a cesspool with Doritos ads, I mean, how long is Doritos going to hang around if people start bailing you know, all the other advertisers? If It'll the be that has... pillow guy. It'll be just yeah. that pillow guy. But anyway, that, that one is a, to be continued because we don't know what exactly is going to happen. But there was one tech-related thing that I think is probably closest to our crusty old Generation X hearts, and that was the announcement just a, a last week that Apple was going to pull the plug on the last remaining iPod model, the iPod Touch, which was the one that was still standing. The original iPod, which was announced by Steve Jobs in October of 2001, was a high-priced Mac-only chunky white rectangle, but as it evolved... You can really say it changed the music market, and it did pave the way for the iPhone, the the portable device. People started to figure out what else they could do besides music, and they are putting their contacts on it, and they were putting, eventually you could do videos on it, and it really became your pocket computer. But those of you out there who know El Kaiser and myself, I may recall that we were majorly bummed over the retirement of the hard drive-based iPod Classic in 2014. And to me, that one hit harder than the recent demise of the iPod Touch, which I felt was inevitable and was also a little bit anticlimactic because, you know, it was basically an iPhone without cellular service. But the click wheel days to me was was pure iPod country. And I still have a couple of them laying around and they're still working. I'm not taking them out and banging around on them, but they sit on the desk and they have little bookshelf speakers. And if I want to play something from my immense library that's on there, then they're still getting pressed into service. They had, like, I guess a 21-year run of these little iPods in various shapes and formats and colors, and... That's a good run. That's a good run. Yeah, but yeah, no, it did. I guess they were down to, like, only selling three million of them a year or something, and maybe to Apple it wasn't worth it to keep the factories going just for that. Yeah, pour one out for them. Yeah, yeah. So long, iPod. You were great. Didn't you run out and buy a, a classic when they discontinued it before they disappeared from the stores? I did indeed. I have two of the classics. One brand new, still in a box, shrink-wrapped. Mm-hmm. And my other one, which is still chugging along. It works just fine. All right. That's good prepping on your behalf, yeah. I might need to eventually switch the battery mm-hmm. on the, the first one. But if I do have to do that, I will do it on my own. I will not pay. I will not take it to the Apple store because they'll probably look at me like, what the hell is this? Yeah, what's this antique? If we wait long enough, maybe it'll get like a little retro thing like the vinyl came back because all the millennials love the vinyl. So who knows? Maybe we'll have a, a revival of the 25th anniversary iPod or something. They used to do those special Mac editions. And so so we'll see and hope. It'd be nice to have another run at it. But, it uh, would. But, but moving on, sadly, in recent weeks, we've also seen uh, workers vote to unionize at a bunch of big companies, including one Amazon Fulfillment Center. There's been a few Starbucks stores around the country. Some of Google's workers formed the Alphabet Workers Union last year. 
And a group of Apple store employees are also organizing. Now, this whole organized labor thing is, is really coming back with a vengeance, I guess, all in many industries. But the Apple store folks, they are looking for a minimum pay of $30 an hour as one of their top goals. And then, of course, your benefits and stuff on top of that. The Apple Store at Grand Central Terminal here in New York City is one of the most visible in the unionizing movement. And they've dubbed themselves the Fruit Stand Workers United, which I think <laughs> is a great name for it any is sort a of Apple-based union. But as Wired reports, some current and former Apple corporate workers are also helping some of these unionizing efforts. And they're meeting on Discord, and they're working with union organizers, and they're all trying to get together to effectively organize because Apple, as we know, has a, a fairly secretive and a very constrained corporate culture and any sort of union activity, I'm sure, is not being looked at very fondly by the, the Apple corporate side. But this group is called Apple Together, and the, I think one of the original organizers of the, the Apple II movement, when they were also talking about harassment things, had a lot of organizing skills and uh, is working with some of the Apple Store folks who want to unionize. And so the group Together is called Apple Together, and then they nice. are, are working for labor rights there. Now, after some bad quarterly financial news, Netflix is looking to shake things up and maybe get back to, to some kind of profits. Uh, word has it that advertisements could be slipping into Netflix shows by the end of the year. And the company is also looking into live streaming for unscripted shows and things like comedy specials. Uh, would, would ads in your uh, Netflix annoy you greatly? Considering they raised the price on me like three times over the last year, yeah, that would annoy me really mm -hmm. big time. Oh, and you know there's going to be a tier of even even more money to not have ads. You know, like, oh, if you pay $25 a month, you don't have to look at the ads. But It's frustrating to me that because of their hubris, I have to pay. They could not see that they lost the, the Marvel stuff. They lost the Disney stuff. There's five or six other streaming services with IP that's like stuff that people want to see. Star Trek, for hmm. one. Star Wars, Marvel. Come on. Are they kidding me? To your point, they've lost a lot of, of standard shows because the original creators started their own streaming services and took them back. I think Battlestar Galactic is on Peacock and a lot of stuff that had been staples. And so they're down to movies from the 80s and 90s that are just everywhere. And a lot of their original series, you know, Stranger Things is one of them. And, and they do, I've watched Russian Doll. That was also a, a nice Netflix original and occasionally a movie that they produced, the Operation Mincemeat one that just debuted, was not bad. But if you look at the amount of money that they want versus the content that's still left on there, I think a lot of people are, are going to, the ad thing might just send them you know, off to some other service. Oh, absolutely. There's no question in my mind. I'm already looking to pare down. My, my annoyance is that the streaming ecosystem is getting exactly like the cable ecosystem. It's, wait a minute, I have to pay five times for the same content that I could watch on my cable box, why would why do I need the streaming services? I'll go mm -hmm. back to my cable box. It's like yeah. they're forcing people to pirate stuff. They don't get it. Let's be honest. There is nothing besides the Star Trek stuff I watch on Paramount. Once that goes, or once they stop being something that I'm interested in watching, I'm going to cancel Paramount. Yeah, once you've watched every single minute of Star Trek stuff, then yeah. off you go. Same thing with HBO Max. Really? I'm already thinking about what do I really watch on HBO Max? This The Batman movie was terrible. It was nice when we were knee-deep in the pandemic, but no. Uh -uh. There's nothing compelling on there that makes me want to continue to pay for it. And if you look 
deep enough too. And I, I've noticed this with a, with a couple of shows that I watch, like John Oliver on HBO and Amber Ruffin's a fabulous show on Peacock. If you wait a day, all those segments end up on YouTube and they're yes. on the official show's channel. So you can just watch Absolutely. it there. And yet you got to watch the stupid YouTube ads, but it's free. It's free. So yeah, that, that's a strategy there. So anyway, so, so we'll see if Netflix can turn it around. Speaking of financial woes, though, the cryptocurrency market suffered a steep sell-off for this month. As the New York Times reported, the price of Bitcoin dropped to the lowest point since 2020. And I guess the cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase also tanked. So uh, that's more than $300 billion, I guess, was wiped out in a crash by the cryptocurrency prices at one point. And the crypto world's meltdown is also adding onto the pile of mounting problems for everyone, including inflation, cost of living, supply chain issues, the whole baby formula thing. So, so the, the country is not in a very happy place financially. So that, that, that does give us some worry here. But in autonomous machine news, now I know this is your favorite segment of news items, uh, <laughs> Uber Eats is testing food delivery in Los Angeles for both self-driving cars and sidewalk robots. So the pilot program is only delivering orders from a couple of restaurants there because Uber Eats is seeing if this thing is actually going to work. But if you happen to be in West Hollywood or Santa Monica, keep an eye out. You could see a little sidewalk robot you know, rolling a food order down the, uh, the road. And over in the somewhat United Kingdom, uh, the Royal Mail Service there has requested a fleet of 500 drones to help deliver the post in some of the country's more remote and obscure mail routes. Uh, this includes the rugged islands off the coast of Scotland and other little bits of land around England. So the Civil Aviation Authority there does need to approve the drone fleet, though. But I guess if you're you're sort of on a, a windswept, battered island and up in the Orkneys or something, having a little drone bring your mail, you might get mail more regularly than you would. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. But a robot, a sidewalk robot bringing me food? Now. We've seen this concept before. I think Domino's was doing the pizza robot there for a couple of years, and they have all of these food service robots that will do neighborhood trips. But again... Let's see how it does in L.A. It is a big urban environment. In New York, it would be stripped for parts, and they would take all the food, oh, I yeah. think, five minutes after this thing rolled out of the restaurant. Especially in New York these days, which has gotten a little bit like New York in the 80s in, in yeah, some spots. it's gotten a little, uh, a little feistier. We'll see how the Uber Eats project goes. Um, maybe they can make commercials out of that instead of those that stupid series they're running where people allegedly get confused about Uber Eats is not just food, and you know and they're eating like lipsticks and stuff. And finally... <laughs> Yes, from the drones of Scotland, uh, we'll stay overseas. Now, should Elon Musk do his takeover of Twitter and that actually goes through, things might get a little complicated for the bird-themed microblogging service over there in Europe. Mr. Musk has indicated that he'll remove some of the speech rules that Twitter has put into place to attempt to maintain civility and order. But the European Union's new Digital Services Act might change the plan if Mr. Musk was indeed thinking of stripping some of these rules off. Under the EU's new rules, Meta, Facebook, or whatever it calls itself, Twitter, YouTube, and other internet services would have to more aggressively combat misinformation and illicit content on their platforms. They would also need to disclose how their services would amplify divisive content and stop targeting online ads based on a person's ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, all of those little demographic things that they like to use for targeting. So the penalty for not following the EU's laws could result in billions of dollars of fines. So if you're getting a service and you say, oh, it's going to be a free-for-all and you either just stay in the country and maybe there's no Twitter in Europe if you can't follow the rules or you got to put some rules back. But again, Europe is ahead of, of the kind. I think they're just sick of big American tech companies 
doing what they want to do and and they're worried about EU citizens and their rights. And, and this Digital Services Act was just one bit of regulation cooked up by the European Union this year as the bloc tries to protect its citizens because they're very also worried about uh, data privacy. They don't want their citizens' data on American servers. So the EU also passed the Digital Markets Act, and this was a, a couple months back, but the Digital Markets Act aims to smack down anti-competitive behavior by the biggest tech firms including maybe loosening their somewhat iron grip over their app stores as well as online advertising and shopping. So this is a big, you know, kind of a one-two combo here from the EU with the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. Of course, you can write legislation. It's how you enforce it will be the big indicator of if it's going to be any good or make people change their behavior. But it was interesting to see how someone is actually stepping up and dealing with privacy and dealing with civilized speech. I got all kind of misty there reading the legislation. <laughs> but but that's been a, a quick ramble through the news, including some stuff that happened while we were away dealing with life. For anyone out there who wants to know more about the things that we talked about, you can find a page of links at poptechjam.com. So, Pedro, a lot of cities are, are dropping the mask mandates, telling people oh, yeah. to get out of your house, go back to work. We want to see you in the office so we can collaborate, all of that. And it was making me think, you know, I haven't actually had to commute in two years, you know, farther from the bed to the, the makeshift desk. So things have changed. And I think when people do go back and a lot of offices will just open the doors and make everyone come back at once. So all of a sudden, you've got people who haven't commuted for two years, and it's just going to overload the system because they've reduced service in the meantime. So it's, like, it's going to be nuts. So I was thinking about this, and then I was thinking, I've only really used my calendar app to accept like Zoom invitations you know, for the past couple of years because we haven't really gone anywhere. Occasionally, yeah, maybe you know a couple of little trips here and there, but by and large, it's been mostly just work meetings and video conferences where you log on right. and you, you do your thing. So I was thinking about this. I was like, I'm going to have to get used to building in time to travel again, whether it be just to get to the office or if I have to be to an appointment on time, you got the dentist and all this stuff coming back. So, so I was looking around the calendar apps, both the Google Calendar, which is very popular, and the Apple Calendar, which I think is more familiar, but I think more people are, are prone to Google Calendar, especially because Google has a lot of corporate clients. So I was looking at these to see what can you do for me uh, to get me to my meetings on time. And Apple is actually, and both of them actually, both Google and Apple have meshed their calendar software with their maps and traffic software because as Google bought Waze and I think Apple also has a travel company. And so they've really been working on their traffic and transit and their directions and things. A little synergy. synergy yeah, a little synergy. Now, when you create an event or you go back and you edit an existing one, say you're in your iOS calendar on, on your phone, uh, you can also use the calendar on the Mac or your iPad, you have a travel time option now. When you are setting up an appointment or editing one and you're trying to figure out, well, when do I need to be alerted for this? As long as you've got the location of your event, whether it be the office or some restaurant you're going to or whatever, you have to have the, the location of, of your appointment but as long as you've got that in there and then you select this travel time option in the appointment there, the Apple automatically calculate the time needed to get there by your chosen method of transportation, car, nice. foot, transit. I think some cities have bike rental. 
And so it will and it'll look at the current conditions at the time. So if there is a huge traffic jam somewhere, maybe it tells you like leave really early or go this way or change your route. So they, they are building that in. So you can have it say, tell me when I need to leave. And you you get the alert, say, based on traffic conditions, you should leave now. And you can also have an alert to your alert saying, hey, you know, you've got your travel coming up in a little bit. And then you get the travel alert just for people who really need to be poked to, to get ready to go. I think this has been in for a while, but I've never bothered to look at it because where have we been going? So, so that is there on the Apple side. Now, Google Calendar, you have to do it from the desktop. I don't believe they have built this into the uh, app version of Google Calendar for your Android or your iOS phone. So unlike Apple, where you can just do your travel time on the phone, Google would like you to, to pop into your web browser uh, because they have meshed the, um, the Maps software really nicely there. So when you are setting up an appointment, you can also say, I need directions. And what you do is click on the location that you've put in for your appointment. And then the maps panel slides open. And it's, oh, look, here's all these ways that I can get to this place. And you could also, you know, say from my current location or, hey, I'm going to be leaving from the office. So, so take me from there. So the Google Maps gives you a bunch of different routes. And you can say, hey, I think I want to take this one because I don't completely hate this train line. And then you, there's a little button there that you say, <laughs> click and add to calendar. And what it does is it doesn't add it to the appointment, but you get a, a block of time before, like, say you've got dinner at 7, it'll throw a chunk of time on the calendar, it's like at 6.30, saying, oh, you're going to be traveling here. And why this is good, because maybe you know it's going to only take you like 20 minutes to get there, but it tells everyone who your calendar is shared with, uh, especially at the office, that, hey, I'm going to be traveling, so you can't bug me here because I'm not going to be at my desk. I've got this time blocked out for travel. So I thought, that even though it's a little bit extra to deal with the, the desktop Google Calendar, it's very handy to, to have these options to go and, and get that time built in so people do not pester you while you're underground or, or wherever you happen to be. But that really doesn't help folks like me who will tell people, yeah, I'm on the way, I'm on the way, and I'm still not even in the shower. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? The other people don't have to know. Be a little <laughs> secret between you and, and Google. All right, Adam. good. So I can yeah. still keep my secrets. All right, yeah. nice. So, anyway, so that is my hopefully helpful hint. For those of you who do have to drag it back to the office this month or at some point this spring, if you want to just kind of get used to commuting again and just remind yourself that, yeah, sometimes it can take way longer than you think it does to get to places based on real-time traffic conditions, both Apple Maps with Apple's iOS calendar and Google's vast empire of calendar and maps can give you a little bit of a head start there. And I will have links to a story that explains this on our show page at poptechjam.com. Triple H. Listen, do you get the feeling that the entire sweatpant industry is going to crash and burn as people start going back to work? Yeah, I would not want to have stock in Fruit of the Loom now if they've been uh, selling a lot of, of comfy pants. I think the, the people who make the khakis who are just as comfortable as sweatpants are going yeah. to, to have yeah, a boom. Yeah. I think they totally will. Yeah. I've noticed an, an uptick in those uh, Instagram ads. Mm -hmm. I've noticed. Comfy pants for work in public. Yeah. Feels like, <laughs> feels mm -hmm. like sweatpants. Yeah. So, anyway, you know what? We should thank the bros. Yes, we should. Thank you, bros. Thank you, bros. If you think it, they will build it. Builtbybros.com. And thank you, listeners. I know we've been away for a while, and we appreciate everyone who waited around for us, because we do love having our chats, and we hope that we can at least be entertaining for a little while. But thank yes, you, dude. listeners, for downloading us and listening to us or streaming us, however you get your podcast material. We hope everyone out there is doing well as we plot on through yet another year of uh, coronavirus and figure out how the world is going to work these days. May I make an observation here? Yes. We've been on 
over 12 years. Uh, I think it was uh, 2012 that we, we yeah. launched right. Pop. So, so 10, years, 10 years, right? Ten yeah, years. 10 years. No, but we did the show before at the Yeah, un- yeah, we had that other show. Sh- yeah, that yeah. other show at the unnamed large news organization. Yes. But CNN Plus didn't last a month. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, I'm just, just saying. saying. Yeah, we, we may miss a, you know, a few weeks here and there, but we've been chugging <laughs> we're along still here. here for... We're still here. Yeah. We ain't going I, I anywhere. Think- yeah, it was uh, was Obama president when we started. Was it Bush the second? It was, it's been a while. I think um, it was Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Yeah, man. yeah, because we helped him with the interstates. Um, yeah, it was. But yeah, I believe we we started Pop Tech Jam in 2012. I think so. This is our, our full decade of this show, and then we had our origin story. You know, back in the old companies. So. That's right. That's right. We, we've been yapping for a long time here. Hell's yeah, we've been yapping. Anyway, thank you everyone. Thank you yes, for sticking thank you, with us for these last ten years. And here's to another. 10 years. Yes, and I hope everyone out there is uh, safe and healthy and having a good week. And until next time, I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. Bye, y'all.